So a couple of months back, I was sitting in my counselor's office uh, chatting with him, and we were talking about strategies to reduce anxiety. And he went through uh, an exercise with me that was designed to do just that. And a part of it, just a little part of it, uh, was the, the typical counselor question where he looked at me and said, I want you to go in your mind to a place that is peaceful and joyful and a good memory that you had where you, where you felt calm. And uh, so immediately I knew where I was going. Uh, I was uh, on the beach in Hawaii and um, a, a week before, literally a week before all air travel was shut down because of this pandemic, uh, my wife and I were on a 12-day vacation in Kauai. And so the very last day, we uh, checked out of our hotel, but our flight didn't leave until 11.30 at night. So we had the rest of the day to spend at the hotel. And at the end of 12 days of vacation, I was feeling pretty relaxed. I was, I was calm. Uh, and uh, a perfect vacation day for me is sitting by the pool or sitting on the beach and reading a book. That's, that's a great vacation day for me. I don't feel the need to go out and do a whole bunch of stuff. And we had done some stuff on this vacation, but this last day was a perfect day to, to sit there and read. There was, it was a nice hot sunny day. There was a little breeze coming in off the water. And near the end of the day, we, we took our chairs, which were facing the pool, and we turned them around and faced the ocean. It was just about 100 yards away. And... Um, we just sat there and looked at the ocean. I find the, the waves coming in mesmerizing over and over and over again. And it just so happened that day there were humpback whales jumping out in the distance as well. And so it was cool to watch them jumping out and, and seeing the spray of water and the splashes as they were playing around out there. And as I chose that memory in the counselor's office, I thought about why that memory and I thought the reason, I think, is because I can look back with fondness at that memory as the last kind of pre-pandemic normal moment. Now, normal, I don't live in Hawaii, so that's not really normal. But the, the last moment where I wasn't thinking about COVID, I wasn't thinking about lockdowns, I wasn't thinking about pivoting, I wasn't thinking about the personal decisions that needed to be made, the church decisions, I wasn't thinking about any of that. I was relaxed at the end of a vacation. And I look back at that with fondness. But there's also a tinge to that memory that makes me anticipate hopefully one day being able to do that again. Maybe not there, but having that kind of experience again and some sort of normalcy in life once again. There is this aspect to this memory where I was looking back with fondness, but also looking forward with anticipation and with longing. Friends, I've just described what Advent is all about. Looking back with fondness and with joy at the coming of Christ, the birth of Jesus in a manger, and looking forward with anticipation to when Jesus will return again, to create a new heavens and to restore the earth and to live, we will live with him in his presence forever. We, we long for that day. That's what the Advent season is all about. You know, researching the history of Advent is, is really interesting. You don't really read much about it until the 4th or 5th centuries. And when you do start hearing about it, it's not actually to do with Christmas that strongly. It's, it's more to do with a, a preparation for the second coming. Uh, it's a period of, of sober reflection, of, of thinking about the judgment of God and preparing one's heart for when Christ would return again. Uh, it, was, it was not to do with the, the first coming as much as the second coming. There was a solemnity to it. It was almost a, a parallel to Lent with self-denial and self-sacrifice as a key theme in Advent. Now, of course, Advent has become associated with Christmas, and uh, we've got all kinds of traditions that have become associated with Advent, one of the, which is that we light these candles, which we've been doing 
each week through Advent. And these themes have been hope and uh, peace and joy and love and Christ will be the fifth candle that we light. Those aren't the only themes that people associate with candles. Some churches or traditions associate different themes. There's no really hard and fast rules about what Advent should look like. But I think we would be wise to recapture this dual focus of looking back with with fondness and with appreciation for what God did and looking forward with anticipation to what God will do. Here's what I want to convince us of this morning. Simply this, anticipation produces joy. Anticipation produces joy. We're going to see that in the Old Testament and we're going to see that in our lives uh, even in the here and now. So let's read part of the Christmas story here. The, the most extended version we have of the birth of Christ is found in the Gospel of Luke in chapters 1 and 2. And we'll read verses 8 to 20 in Luke chapter 2. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning all that had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard which were just as they had been told. Good news of great joy. Now, why was this news of of such great joy? Why should the shepherds be joyful at the announcement of this Messiah? Well, it's because that this Messiah had been anticipated for a long time. For hundreds of years now, they had lived with the hope of this prophecy that one day, coming in the future, Yahweh himself would establish himself as their king. And he would set all things right. One day this would come. And, and like I said, for hundreds of years, they held on to this hope. They would look back at creation. They would look back at the story of Abraham and how God set him as the founder of this nation Israel that was to be blessed and to be a blessing to the world. They would look at, at the story of the patriarchs and they would think about how Israel had gone into slavery for 400 years in Egypt, but then God with this powerful and mighty display brought them out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. They would think back to the kings and how the, the line of kings in Israel started with such promise, with, with the, the, the hoopla that surrounded the installation of Saul and the disappointment that followed. And then David, who came and accomplished amazing things, but yet was still a flawed person in himself. And Solomon, same kind of thing, Great wealth, great power was amassed for Israel, and yet his heart was also not fully turned to God. And then the kings that followed were one disappointment after another, by and large. They watched this nation, which was supposed to be used by God, split into two, the north and the south, and both of these kingdoms were sent into exile. 
because of their lack of commitment to the Lord. They would have watched as first the Babylonians took control, and then the Persians, and then the Egyptians again, and then the Syrians, and then the Romans. They were always living under the finger of another empire. And yet, they clung to this hope, this joyful anticipation. N.T. Wright in his book, Simply Jesus, says this, How on earth do you suspend hope for more than half a millennium while you're watching one regime after another come and go? Some promising better things, but all letting you down in the end. How can you go on believing from generation to generation that one day God will come and take charge? The answer? You tell the story. You sing the songs and you keep on celebrating God's victory even though it keeps on not happening. And so we read some of these songs in the Old Testament. In in the book of Psalms, for instance, here's one example. Psalm 96, starting in verse 9. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Do you catch the the theme there of joy? The Lord is coming and so we sing with joy in the here and now. Because one day he will come to be king. N.T. Wright says, One can see all too easily how these songs would give rise among a people weary of corrupt and self-serving rulers to the longing for Yahweh himself to come and take charge. He and he alone would give the people what they needed and wanted. He would take control and sort everything out. The singing of these songs week in and week out while watching the dreary procession of corrupt officials and regimes come and go would provide a natural seedbed of hope for Israel's God to be king and nobody else. This is what they did for hundreds of years. They sang the songs, they told the stories and anticipated with joy the day when the Messiah would come and in Jesus the Messiah came. And to be sure, his birth and his ministry unfolded in a surprising way. It didn't unfold in exactly the way that many of them anticipated it would, but he certainly did come as king, and he certainly did establish a kingdom that would last. So my friends, the question is, why do we need Advent? We need Advent to remember with joy what God did so that we can anticipate with joy what God will do. And I think that this year, more than most, we can enter into the spirit of Advent like never before. I read a a sermon last year that has changed the way that I think about Advent, and Advent is quickly becoming a very special time for me. The sermon was titled, Advent Begins in the Dark. It begins in the dark. That's why we use candles that slowly provide more light all the way through. It begins in the dark with the realization that the world we live in is not as it should be. It's dark. There is sin in the world. There is suffering in the world. There is pain. There is hurt. 
The world is a dark place, but yet the light of Christ shines bright. And when we recognize the darkness, the the brightness of Christ shines even brighter. It's kind of like if you had a piece of bread and you found a starving person who was about to die of starvation and you gave them this piece of bread, they would accept it with such gratitude and joy because you've saved their life. They, They didn't have any hope and now... They have some because you've given them a piece of bread. But if I came to you after you were finished Christmas dinner and full of turkey and mashed potatoes and stuffing and pie and eggnog and I gave you a piece of bread, you'd maybe say, well, thanks, but I'm kind of content. I I don't really need a piece of bread. Right? And in lots of other years, we've been able to be, be placated by all of the other things going on at Christmas time. You know, the gatherings and the parties and the presents and the food and all of these things have just made us feel content. And so the coming of Christ is certainly something that we want to focus on and celebrate. But this year, I think more than most, we recognize that we live in the dark. And the light of Christmas, the the brightness of Advent produces a reaction in us that's stronger than any other year. I mean, here we are in, in the midst of another lockdown And it's been a long eight or nine months now. And the decisions that we've had to make have not been easy. And the consequences of lockdown have been tragic for many. And many people are suffering with really poor mental health these days. And we've heard of drug overdoses and suicides as a result of the isolation that people feel. And small businesses are hurting And people are dying because of COVID. And we're alone in our homes this Christmas season. It's dark. Lots has been hard. And yet, in the midst of the darkness, we still can choose to have joy as we anticipate what will come. In the midst of challenge, the greatness of eternity shines even brighter. The other day, uh, my son was in tears. He's, he's got a wart on his foot, and so we've got this stuff that we put on it, and we bought a pumice stone, and so you're supposed to put this stuff on and then, like, rub the wart with this pumice stone, which is incredibly painful for him. Uh, sorry for the graphic detail. But he's, he's crying, and he's, he's screaming because he's in pain, And he looks at my wife, Jenny, in the midst of his tears and he says, Can I have ice cream when this is over? (laughs) Something to look forward to in the midst of the pain made the pain more tolerable. I can get through this if there's ice cream on the other side. It's been interesting to hear people talk about the incoming vaccine. And I know there's a larger conversation around vaccines that that we could have. But the, the point I'm trying to make here is that many people, as they've anticipated a vaccine, have, have seen it as kind of like the savior coming over the hill, right? Once the vaccine comes, we can go back to normal. We can go to that concert. We can go to that sporting event. We can have the family over. I can go visit mom and dad. I, I can do all of the things I was used to doing once the vaccine comes. And, and it's certainly very possible that this vaccine will do great things in that regard. But a vaccine is not going to solve all of our problems. Because only Jesus will solve all of our problems when he returns. 
when he comes again. And so the anticipation that people are feeling towards this vaccine is is for us as believers actually better suited to an anticipation of when Christ will return. And that anticipation produces joy in the midst of what we're facing. Let's see this uh, played out in 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter writes these amazing words, and I want you to pay attention to joy in this passage, okay? Peter says this, uh, 1 Peter 1 verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. So, translation here. There's an inheritance waiting for you in heaven that is far greater than anything that you can imagine. And when Jesus returns again, that is what you will inherit. So, verse 6, in all of this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him right now, You believe in him, and you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The anticipation of this inheritance and of seeing Jesus face to face fills us with joy, despite the challenge. So a couple comments about joy as we close. Number one, joy transcends circumstances, but it also honors present challenges. It transcends circumstance, but it honors challenges. So what I mean by that is is joy will never come to you and say, you shouldn't feel that way, or you should be able to deal with this, or just snap out of it, or get over it. That's not what joy says. Joy transcends circumstances in that it still exists in the midst of those feelings of difficulty. I watched the movie last week with my kids, Inside Out, a Disney Pixar movie uh, in which it follows a a nine-year-old girl who's moved across the country and is trying to deal with all the changes. And the main characters in the movie are actually five emotions that live in her head, Uh, joy and sadness and fear and anger and disgust. And all of these characters uh, influence her behavior and her moods and the things that she says. Joy is the main character, and for most of the movie, Joy sees it as her job to make sure that sadness doesn't touch anything. Sadness, you just ruin everything. You, you bring tears, and you bring uh, depression, and you should just stay out of the way and not touch anything. But she realizes by the end of the movie that sadness actually needs to be expressed. That when sadness is expressed, that emotion can be released and processing can happen. And then there can be a contentedness at the bottom of that sadness. Joy recognizes that sadness is a part of the human journey. Because it is. We we have reason to be sad, to be frustrated, to be anxious, to be upset. And yet joy transcends all of that with the anticipation of what will come. Because we live in the darkness, the light shines even brighter. 
So joy is both something that's given by God and something we choose. It's given by God. Uh, Galatians 5.25, Paul writes about joy as a fruit of the Spirit, something produced by God as we give him more control. In Romans 15, verse 13, Paul prays, May the God of all hope fill you with joy. May God do this filling work and give you joy. But it's also something that we are told to choose. James 1, uh, James writes, Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kind. Choose to, to, to experience that joy. Or Philippians 4, verse 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. Choose joy. In the midst of your circumstances. It's both a choice and a gift. So a few thoughts as we close. I I want you this week to pray each day that God would fill you with joy. That he would give that to you as his gracious gift in the midst of whatever it is you're facing and however it is that you're feeling about it. Would you pray that God would fill you with joy? And secondly, each morning when you choose up, I want you to declare out loud, I choose joy today. I choose joy today. A joy that honors everything else that's going on, but also transcends the circumstances. I choose joy because I know what's coming. Just as Jesus was the fulfillment of all the hopes and dreams of all the years, We have those same hopes and dreams that Jesus will establish his kingdom in full. So two questions then as we end. Number one, how is God giving you joy? What is it about Jesus that gives you joy? What is it about Jesus that brings you joy? And secondly, I'd encourage you today or this week to take a a journal or a notepad or piece of paper And write down on it how the anticipation of the second coming of Jesus produces joy in you. What is it that you're looking forward to never having to deal with again when you are in eternity in the presence of Jesus? What is it that you will experience in full or experience that you can't experience here on earth that you will experience in full in the presence of Jesus when he establishes his kingdom in full. Write it down. Take some time to think it through. Pray about it. Ask God to produce this joy in you as you anticipate his return. So in this Christmas season, we'll think a lot about the birth of Christ as we should, but we also ought to think about the second coming of Jesus and choose joy as we wait. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you give joy. Thank you that you sent Jesus as the fulfillment of the anticipation that people had for centuries waiting for the Messiah to come. And we recognize that in the birth of Jesus and in the person of Jesus, the incarnation of God among men, that you taught us how to live, that you established a kingdom that will endure forever. And yet we live in this place between when you've come the first time and when you will come again. We know that you've dealt decisively with evil, but that victory will be fully seen when you come again. And so as we look forward with anticipation, we pray that you would fill us with joy that will transcend our our current circumstances and give us hope for the future. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.